Good Bone Health makes active aging possible. Join us for inspiring conversations from diverse perspectives in osteoporosis, from patients, healthcare providers, caregivers, policymakers, researchers, advocates, and innovators. Protect your ability to live your best life. The information and opinions expressed in Bone Talk are not intended to replace the services of trained and qualified health professionals or to be a substitute for medical advice of physicians. You may review the National Osteoporosis Foundation's full medical disclaimer at nof.org. Hello, listener. Thanks for being with us. This is Elizabeth Thompson with the National Osteoporosis Foundation, and today I'm delighted to introduce Dr. Susan Greenspan. Dr. Greenspan is a professor of medicine at the University of Pittsburgh and the director of Osteoporosis Prevention and Treatment Center. Dr. Greenspan has been involved with the National Osteoporosis Foundation for many years as a leader, as a presenter at our various healthcare conferences, and currently she serves as the president of NOF's Board of Trustees. Welcome, Dr. Greenspan. Thanks, Liz, and I'm delighted to be here. We're excited today, listener, to introduce you to the body of expertise that Dr. Greenspan has to talk through her leadership as our board president, as well as caring for her patients. Dr. Greenspan, will you share with our listener what type of patients you treat and how you came to specialize in this area? Certainly. I have a unique focus because I'm trained as an endocrinologist and a geriatrician. In addition to seeing patients with osteoporosis, I have a focus and really love of caring for the oldest of the old patients, those patients who in the past may not have been treated, but there is so much now that we can do for them and prevent the disease, treat the disease, awareness of the disease, that it's really an honor and pleasure to take care of this group. And I think I came to it because I also had a very close relationship with my grandmother and saw her lose height and lose height and get back fractures. And then back in that time, she was told, well, Lucille, you're 80 years old and there's really nothing we can do. And we are so fortunate today that there is so much we can do. So we don't need to hear that kind of discussion anymore. Today, we'll be exploring the concept of treating the oldest of the old and exploring whether a patient is ever too old to be treated. And I have a feeling with the hint that you just gave us, Dr. Greenspan, there's a lot of hope around this. So I'm really looking forward to hearing you share some concepts and then even move into some case studies to help us understand this. Case studies that might be similar to people we already know. Absolutely. And the problem is that when we think of the oldest of old, not only those living in the community, but the 4 million residents who live in senior communities, many of them are older women. And it's estimated that about 85% of them have osteoporosis. In this group, hip fractures are about two to three times more common. Other non-spine fractures we may see in the arm or the leg are three times more common. Spine fractures are more common, but the downsides or the bad news is that fewer screened, fewer diagnosed, and only 5% of them are treated for osteoporosis. 
what we need to think about are in addition to the conventional things we think about in terms of risk factors, there are things outside of the regular risk factors that are different than the 50-year-old when we start to think of our older patients. And we want to know what else can we do besides standard treatment in terms of prevention and also do the therapies work? But Liz, to put it in perspective, as you suggested, let's think about some case studies. And as we go through the comments, we'll bring these patients back and see what we would think about doing, which is so different than what they did with my grandmother. So the first one is Margaret. She's 93 years old. She lives in the community. She's independent. She has a little bit of arthritis and cataracts, but she's really not on any big time medication. She has had a fall when she was gardening, and she did get a bone density. Her doctor prescribed it, and she does have osteoporosis. So that's Margaret. We also have Rose. She's almost 90 and lives in a long-term care facility. She needs lots of assistance. Unfortunately, she spends most of her day in a wheelchair. She needs a lot of assistance with all her activities of daily living. She has a lot of medical problems. She's a little bit confused. She's had high blood pressure. She's had a stroke. She's now had to be on a medicine, prednisone, because of a vascular condition that she has. And recently, she had a new fracture in her pelvis just when they were trying to move her from her walker to get her onto a couch. And finally, there's Henry. Henry is terrific. He's an 82-year-old vet, and he has newly diagnosed prostate cancer. He's pretty good and ambulates around, gets around by himself, but he does have a walker that he uses. He's had a couple of prior falls, but unfortunately, he has a lot of medical problems. He was recently diagnosed with the prostate cancer, has heart disease, diabetes, some kidney disease, some vision problems. He too had a bone density, but he did not have osteoporosis. So we'll just keep those three wonderful people in the back of our mind as we go through some of these other issues and decide, would we screen them? Would we do prevention? What would be different than the normal standard of prevention? And would we treat them? Thanks, Dr. Greenspan. I'm really looking forward to this part of the exercise and really learning what you would do as an expert. So of these three wonderful people, Margaret, Rose, and Henry, who should be screened? How would you think about that as you see them in your clinic? Well, if we just look at the guidelines, our guidelines from the National Osteoporosis Foundation, as well as those from a governing body or a group that puts out helpful guidelines, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, all women over the age of 65 can be screened for osteoporosis. So that would relate to both Margaret, who's had a bone density, and Rose, who hasn't. But the question is, does Rose need it? Because she has had a fracture. She qualifies as having osteoporosis already. So we may not need to screen her with a DEXA. But the National Osteoporosis Foundation also suggests we would screen all men over the age of 70. 
So that would include Henry, and Henry has had a bone density. Now, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, again, this guideline group, they said they weren't sure if there was enough evidence in men. But we feel there is. One out of five men will fracture after the age of 50. The bone density is an effective, or DEXA test, is an effective screening test that we use for both men and women. And we have good FDA-approved therapies, the same outstanding therapies we use in women, many of them, several of the bisphosphonates we'll talk about later, denosumab and teriparatide are approved for men. So we feel that it was appropriate for Henry to be screened. Very interesting. Are there other non-conventional risk factors in these older adults? Absolutely. And that's what's so important to realize, that when we think about the general risk factors that we may see for younger women, thinking if they've had a history of fracture, a family history of fracture of their own, low calcium, early menopause, medications that can cause it, diseases that can cause it. These are some of the standard things that we would use when we want to calculate their risk when we use an algorithm called FRAX. But there are different things that are important and outside of this FRAX assessment or algorithm that we need to think about in the older group that we wouldn't think about in our 50-year-old woman. And that includes life expectancy. Are they a faller? What is their ambulatory status? Are they frail? Do they have a lot of medical problems? Sometimes in our 50-year-old, they may have one or two. But this may increase significantly, for example, Henry. And he did not even qualify for the FRAX algorithm and also all the multiple medications. The question is, why would this drive whether or not we would treat them? Well, if someone is living a long time and has a good life expectancy, they have more time to fall and potentially fracture, longer to live. They have a very short lifetime. Maybe they have a medical problem and they don't have long to live. And maybe we might not treat them if the medicine doesn't have time to work. But the important thing is that the medicines that are approved for osteoporosis, most of them work within a year. So they really will get the benefit very, very quickly. The other thing that is important is if they are a faller. Well, why is that important? Because most of the fractures that people get are caused by fall. So for example, 90% of hip fractures are from a fall. Over 90% of forearm fractures are from a fall or the upper arm, 90% are caused, someone falls on the arm in the right way, it may break, in addition to having a low bone mass. And then about half of spine fractures. So most fractures don't just occur spontaneously. It requires a fall. So in an older person with multiple falls, they have a higher risk of fracture. The other interesting thing it's just when we think about their ambulatory status. So if you are an active 93-year-old, for example, someone like Margaret, who is up and about, 
she may not have a great risk of falling and fracturing, similar to our 50-year-old. In comparison, if we compare that to Rose, who's in the chair most of the day, except when she got moved, she probably also doesn't have that great of a risk for fracture because she's in the chair most of the day. The one that has the highest risk is actually Henry because he's the one that's ambulating with a walker. He's had some prior falls recently, a little bit unstable, so he is at a great risk to fall and fracture. And then people that have many medical problems, such as he does, we know that in general, diseases such as kidney disease, Parkinson's disease, stroke, having poor vision, dementia or confusion, heart failure, depression, prostate cancer, diabetes, all of these can lead to a decrease in bone density, an increase in fall risk, and therefore an increase in fracture. And then there are many medications. We know the list continues to increase daily that can lead to falls and fractures. In addition to the one we mentioned, steroids or prednisone that Henry is on, we know that there are medicines for breast cancer prevention called aromatase inhibitors, androgen deprivation therapy, that's a medicine that Henry's on for his prostate cancer, some medicines that we use for heartburn, some medicines we use for depression, all of these can lead to an increase in fracture risk. Thank you, Dr. Greenspan. That's a, that's a lot to consider and a lot, certainly, for patients to talk about with their doctors as they're thinking about their risk. One of the things that you mentioned in your conversation about falls was vertebral fractures. Would you explain to our listeners what that is and then how can we prevent fracture even before we think about therapy? Absolutely, and that's a great question because vertebral fractures, two-thirds of them are silent. So when someone fractures their hip, they know it right away. They fall, it hurts, they get an x-ray, we can diagnose it. They fall on their wrist, it hurts, we get an x-ray, we can diagnose a wrist fracture. But that's not the case with a vertebral or spine fracture because two-thirds of them are silent. Furthermore, it's the most common type of fracture, and many of them are not recognized by either the patient or the doctor unless we actually look for them. The reason it's so important is because they have a high risk of future fracture for both the spine and hip and other fractures. So once you had one, your risk of all these other fractures may increase somewhere between three and five-fold. So happening more common, particularly in this older population. And although we can see them on x-ray, sometimes unless we point that out or we ask for it in the report, our doctors may be looking on the x-ray for heart failure or pneumonia, and it may be missed. In one study where they looked at x-rays on people that came in for other reasons, only about 5% of them actually eventually got a treatment for osteoporosis because over half were not mentioned in the report or the summary from the hospitalization or it wasn't in the medical record. 
So we really have to be careful about asking our physicians to look for these fractures. But if they do, it's an excellent way to document a vertebral fracture. And we're now very, very fortunate because there's a DEXA method that we can use to diagnose a vertebral fracture. And that's called a vertebral fracture assessment. It can be done with a DEXA machine. It takes literally three minutes or less to get that assessment. And then we can tell while they're there for the visit, for the bone density, if they also have had a vertebral fracture. Wow, very important. And so for those people who think that they, they've fallen and they now have back pain, that's not necessarily quote-unquote normal. And they may actually have a fracture that can, as you just highlighted, be assessed in a three-minute test with a DEXA scan. That's just so important for people to think about. So we've talked about some risk factors. We've talked about potential for fracture, what that could potentially look like. Let's talk a little bit about the therapies that we might consider for Margaret Rose and Henry. And how do you think about the range of therapies that we have and how they'll work for those patients? Those are all excellent questions. And before we even go to therapy, I want to just mention a little bit about other things that we can do before we get to the medical type treatment. Certainly in this age group, one of the most important things would be fall prevention. So a third of older adults are falling each year, and about 10% of the falls may result in a fracture. So if we can prevent the fall, then hopefully we can prevent a lot of these fractures. There are programs going on now that help with balance and gait, exercise, physical therapy that have been shown to be really good for preventing falls in older adults. It's really important to keep moving, to keep them moving up and going. But we also need to think about things that we might not think about in the 50-year-old. But as we get older, we need to make sure that their vision is good, that their hearing is good, that they're not on a medicine that causes them to be dizzy. Sometimes we put them on blood pressure medicine, and that can cause them to be dizzy and potentially fall. We need to be really thoughtful about their environment. So when they get up at night or they think they need to go to the bathroom at night, is there a nightlight on? Very simple thing. Is there a grab bar in their bathroom? And what kind of environment are they in? Are they going to be walking over cords or rugs that can cause them to trip? And I always tell my patients, if you want to get up in the middle of the night, first thing you do is you sit on the bed and count to 10. If you jump up from a warm bed right away, the blood is going to rush down to your feet, you're going to feel dizzy, and you might fall. So sit on the edge of the bed, count to 10 before you get up. And also, what about your footwear? Make sure you're in good shoes that make you feel secure and stable. While heels may look terrific, really important to maintain that stability on the ground. And again, keep moving. We do have the same great data as we have for young adults for protection with calcium 
and vitamin D. Those are the building blocks of bones and the same recommendations in terms of the amount of calcium of 1,200 milligrams a day in a divided dose. It can be half through the diet, half through a supplement, all through the diet or all with the supplement is important in our older adults and vitamin D, very important in this group. Many older adults who don't get out in the sun, maybe they're not drinking a lot of milk, can be vitamin D deficient. So very important that they get the right amount of vitamin D. At least 800 units a day is recommended in the older group, but many patients require more. Very good things to consider. And I know for the people that I know who are 50 plus and certainly my parents uh, who are now 79 and 91, if they can choose options that are not medical interventions, but wellness, getting calcium, getting vitamin D from being outside, being thoughtful about preventing falls, those are always the strategies they want to lean into first. So thank you so much, Dr. Greenspan, for walking us through those very simple things that we should all incorporate into our daily lives. For myself, I really like the concept of taking 10 seconds before I jump out of bed. My grandmother used to call that the 10 blessings, and she would remind us to think about 10 wonderful things in the day ahead of us before we jumped into our shoes and ran out the door. And so now we can just leverage that in a different way so that our blood gets going before we jump out of bed. I, I really love that as a reminder. Can you talk to us now a little bit about the medical therapies? Because likely with Margaret Rose and Henry and their very complicated and interesting health histories, one or more of them may be eligible for therapy. So talk to us about the therapies that are out there and how you would talk with these patients about the therapy that's right for them. Absolutely. And just as you said, that is so important that the decision about any of these things, even the prevention, it's always a conversation with your healthcare provider. It's about your goals, your wishes, the risks and benefits of the prevention or the medical therapy, and certainly important to include family members or friends as part of the conversation. And the other thing, before we even start with the therapy, that if they pick something or decide they don't want something at one moment, you can always change or they can always change. So whatever they think or if they have a problem with one, it is always possible to change. It doesn't mean they're on that forever. But the good news is that in many of these large clinical trials, they have actually looked at what happens in those individuals over the age 75. And they have found that they do just as well as the younger group. Now, all of the patients that have been or participants that have been in these trials are pretty healthy because they need to be healthy to get in. So that might pertain to Margaret, but probably not to Rose and Henry. But in terms of the therapies that we now know seem to be effective in this older group after they do this secondary analysis, residronate, alendronate, zolindronic acid. So those are the bisphosphonates. A couple of them are oral. 
zolindronic acid is the intravenous one given once a year. Those seem to work as well in the older group as in the younger group. The same is true as denosumab, and it's also true for two anabolic agents, teriparatide and abaloparatide. So those are the daily subcutaneous medicines that we can give for two years that will help build bone, but they have been shown to work as well in the younger group as in the older group. We do have a few studies in more frail elderly that show that their bone density improves, and those have been done in alendronate and zolindronic acid. But at this point in time, I think we could say that for both Margaret and Henry, we have good data that these drugs will work, and we have pretty good data that they would also work in rows. And we can talk about in, in a minute how we would decide whether to treat them, but want to just also step back is the one other thing that we need to think about in the older group with these medicines are some of the non-skeletal issues, the non-bone issues. So when we think about those, for example, the bisphosphonate, so that would be residronate, alendronate, and zolindronic acid in terms of what's been looked at in older adults. If a person has a kidney problem, we have to be careful and look at their kidney function. So that would be a concern for Henry because he has kidney disease. He may be okay to get it. We would just have to know what his kidney function is. The same would be true for Rose, but Margaret has fine kidney function, so she would be able to get any of these therapies. The other one or thing to think about is denosumab because when all of these people could start that therapy, but important to remember when that therapy is stopped, if someone has a vertebral fracture to begin with, they are at risk for getting another vertebral fracture when they end or stop the therapy. So it's something to think about to make sure that there is an alternative therapy we could put them on after we stop denosumab. And finally, for the anabolic agents like teriparatide or abaloparatide, it's a daily subcutaneous injection. It wouldn't be a problem for Margaret. Rose is in a facility, so while she couldn't give it to herself, someone could give it to her. And finally, we would have to talk with Henry and maybe his other docs to see if this is something that he would think about getting. But if he's had radiation therapy, for his prostate cancer or any other of his problems, he wouldn't be able to take these therapies. That's a lot to think about, Dr. Greenspan. So with that as a backdrop, how would you talk with these patients about their options and choices and what might be right for them? So again, just going back, it's always a conversation with their goals, their wishes, their healthcare providers, and certainly include their family members. But the important thing was also to think about their life expectancy. And so not to say you're too old to be treated. Margaret, who's 93, she's healthy 93-year-old. She looks like she could be 65 or 70. Her life expectancy is, on average, at least another seven years. So she could be someone that could get any of these therapies. 
So that would be a discussion, again, with her and her provider, what she would be willing to take. Rose is a little bit more fragile. She has more medical problems. Her life expectancy is maybe only a couple of years, but the medication would still work. And she, without the medication, she recently fractured. It may be difficult for her to take a daily oral medicine. It may be difficult for her to get the daily injection. So maybe we would thinking more about an every six months, uh, once a year bisphosphonate, such as zolindronic acid, as long as her kidney function would be okay with that. And finally, Henry is someone who didn't make it for treatment by bone density or fracs, but he is someone that I would definitely treat with his history of falls, with his history of prostate cancer, now on a therapy that is going to cause bone loss. And so again, we would have to take into account what is his kidney function? Would we be able to give him a bisphosphonate? So again, it's a conversation with him, but he is someone that I would treat. I can tell Dr. Greenspan that all of these patients and many more that you didn't have time to talk about today are in really good hands with your knowledge, your expertise, and certainly your care. I hope our listeners today really could see that in today's world where we have people who are living longer than ever before, thanks in part to modern medicine and vaccinations and, and medicines that help us live into our elder years, that there's a lot of hope. And when we keep our bones strong, we have the physical architecture to keep us moving in the lifestyle that we're excited about and that we will enable us to keep moving and going. What's the most important thing our listener needs to learn today about osteoporosis and caring for the oldest of the old? Maybe three key things from your conversation with us today. Well, number one, it's never too late. There is so much that we can do. And as you said before, it's a conversation with their goals and wishes. Number two would be there are non-conventional risk factors we need to think about. Their overall medical problems and health, their medications, but think about their life expectancy. Think about their falls. Keep them moving. And finally, what we don't think about so much in the young is really focusing on preventing the falls. I love your thought about thinking about something during that 10 seconds when you get out of bed. That's a great way to prevent that fall. And there are so much else we can do to prevent the falls because the goal is to keep us moving and strong and upright and fracture free. And there's so much that we can do today to do that. Thanks so much, Liz. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Greenspan, for your knowledge, your leadership, and your passion for helping our listener understand more about osteoporosis and treating and caring for the oldest of the old today. Listener, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bone Talk. We heard Dr. Greenspan's story and we learned about a few of her special patients, but we want to hear your stories as well. Please visit www.nof.org and go to share your story and tell us what's happening in your world with your bones. The more we stay connected, the stronger we will be. 
For more information about how to keep your bones strong and healthy for life, please visit nof.org regularly for up-to-the-minute information. Did you enjoy this episode? Possibly learn something new and helpful? If so, please do two things. One, subscribe to Bone Talk so you never miss an episode. And two, please share this with all your friends and family. Until next time, remember this. We can't control getting older, but we can control how we do it. Thanks for being with us on Bone Talk. Thank you for joining Bone Talk, the National Osteoporosis Foundation's podcast that shares information, strategies, and inspiration about good bone health that makes active aging possible. To learn more about bone health, to become involved and or help fuel NOF's mission with financial support, visit nof.org.